and welcome to the Dice of Screaming podcast. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the AM drive time yell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's after fine-tuning by a uh, sufficient quantity of caffeine. Ah. So... <laughs> yep, coffee is the fuel that we run on here. High octane. Yeah, yeah. The, the higher octane, the better. Uh, certainly need it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I feel like this is our podcast version of Lady Hawk. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> you know, I'm working the night shift. You're living you know, like the day shift life. You know, there's just this one little glimmering window period at dawn <laughs> and at dusk, and that's the only times that we we actually meet. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, well, you would expect no less from the podcast that oh, the little gaming podcast with a magic compass that only points to bad ideas. Oh, so true. <laughs> So true. Yeah, but we have plenty of them. Yeah, so yeah, it's nearly endless. <laughs> yeah, uh, we just got the uh, wrap up for the year, and we have over uh, 1,960 minutes of content we've provided for you guys this year. I'm actually pretty proud of that one because, in spite of some glaring obstacles in the middle of my schedule, it has been really challenging at certain points uh, to link up and be able to you know, get this out on a regular basis. I, I had some challenging moments this year, but we did not quit. No. We kept at it doggedly, which, yeah, uh, much like Mark Twain with, on the occasions that a food disagrees with me, I keep at it until one or the other of us gets the better of it. <laughs> well, true. But, <laughs> yeah, hope you enjoyed our podcast last week, Samurai Movie Night. I had some good feedback, so yeah, the... Uh, we had some things we want to talk about with Lone Wolf and Cub. We did kind of drift off in the manga discussion, and I think that uh, that was the only thing that uh, I kind of look back on and say, yeah, you know, we are overly fond of the manga adaptation of that. Well, the, the original stories. Yeah, I don't think I voiced enough of my hope that, like, we could find ourselves someday with a, a genuine full-scale adaption of that to film. I mean, I, I would love something more comprehensive and wonderful. Yeah. Uh, something that, like, captures more of the spirit and essence of the, the actual manga. would be mm -hmm. great to see. Like, there's your Game of Thrones ideas, TV writers, you know. Yeah. Uh, I hear AB, HBO Max is looking for new material after, like, you know, getting rid of everything that anybody ever liked ever. I mean, well, they're having their Taco Bell menu moment. Like, uh, people like this? Get it out of here. Well, yeah, you're gonna have to wait for House of the Dragon another two years. So, yeah, uh, maybe a well. I did like House of the Dragon; that's pretty good. But uh, yeah, you know, definitely digging on some uh, Andor as well. That's good stuff. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, you, you need to uh, remedy that big time. I absolutely will. I was looking for new ideas lately. Uh, <laughs> I've been stuck in a rut. Uh, this night shift thing is exhausting me, and it's hard to keep up a schedule yeah. media intake when I really need that time for sleep. Uh, but I will I will make an exception and remember it and take a break sometime on a day off. Right on. But uh, yeah, talking about things in the future. I heard uh, my Kaomancer <sighs> fell tragic. on his own. It was tragic. 
what happened? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> he was he was thoughtfully gazing into uh, sharp objects. Uh, and I mean, he never ran with them, but you know, I, I don't know, he lost his balance. It turns out he bleeds like a Russian princess. Oh, just wow. It was a gusher. <laughs> oh. Oh, dude, I thought it was a Lone Wolf and Cub remake. Oh, yeah. Well, there we go. Boosh! It just vented. Oh. And so he's out. Uh, the Alveromancer has graciously volunteered to take his place. Oh, what is the Alveromancer? Uh, divination by sound. Very fitting. Yeah. All right, so what has the Alveromancer in store for us then? What portents can they divine from the mists of the future? Unlike the Machaeomancer, the Alveromancer does not gaze into anything, but closes his eyes, a lot like Zatoichi, and listens, listening carefully. And what does he divine from the sounds he hears around him? But the near future, next week, we're talking the Dragon Magazine Traveler module from the golden age of Dragon Magazine. Uh, I, what was the title of it? Exonidus Station or? Yeah, Exonidus Station and Traveler and Dragon number 59. Yeah. With uh, the Skitterbug and. Uh... Oh, well, I, it included just before it was the mini story uh, Skitterbug, which was about a group of people doing something a lot like Traveler, although, in fairness, it was not true Traveler. It was just a piece of science fiction that uh, I, I got to admit was very entertaining, uh, but it was not in a Traveler setting. So yeah. it just made an appropriate forward. Gene O'Neill, yeah. uh, an August member of the Science Fiction Writers Association. A fun Wrote. story and well worth looking back up. Yeah. I, it literally evokes the classics of science fiction, including the you know, like unfamiliar species that like, oh, you know, our bumbling ways touch off what uh, an encounter that goes horribly awry and extreme measures must be taken to ensure our survival. Uh, not because of some innate hostility, but like- And the essence of what Traveler is, a disparate group of people with various skills that can together overcome many obstacles, so. Yeah. yeah, we'll be reviewing that next week, so tune in for that one. But uh, right now, I'm going to bring you what's on the menu, uh, which is... Oh, yeah, that, the Michaelmancer was true to his final words. No. <laughs> Just before his terrible and tragic end. <laughs> Welcome to X2 Castle Amber. Yeah, and this is... Uh, if you want to call it basic or classic D&D, but uh, very fond of uh, basic D&D or classic D&D in my game, uh, running the uh, OSE, Old School Essentials. So this was a good lookup, and what a crazy module this is. Uh, first of all, the cover was what uh, both me and Mike about the same time uh, lured us in with the undead colossus crushing a tower, uh, what appears to be an uprooted tree in the other hand. Yeah, uh, this is the Undead Colossus, uh, which is found within. However, what an impressive opener. And, of course, the cover art is by Errol Otis back in the day, uh, circa 1981. He drew this art for this cover. Uh, 
and <laughs> it made an impression, you know, the beautiful blue sky in the background. Everybody seemed to be having a nice day right up until, ooh, a crazy dead giant with a tree for a club, uh, tearing down towers, smashing its way through a town. Uh, and it is relevant to the interior of the module as well. Oh, yeah. But in the back cover, what's on that? Oh, uh, you know, clearly, you know, what looks like a raised dead about to take place uh, or, you know, some kind of serious healing. Uh, I'm, I'm still not sure what's going on there. I, I never yeah, a mass sorcerer it. with a bray, fancy robes. Another, you know, bald person who, I mean, looks either clerical or elvish or something, uh, wearing some kind of thin gold band on their head. They're casting spells on someone who is lying in repose. I, it's hard to tell where any of that is going. And that's where this module is. It's hard to tell where any of this is going. But buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. So Yeah, this is this is one of the roller coasters of early D&D. And it's the better for it. Thank right on the uh, intro page there, you got the map. And we have a picture of a wild hunt. Some type of stag master riding a wolf. Right out of classic mythology. Uh you know, a, a or a stag, excuse me, with wolves around him. Yeah, it's a classic beast, master of the hunt, the wild hunt. He's been summoned, whatever. Well, it's Lupins and Rakasta, uh, uh, you know, and one of the Amber family that is to be found within. And I love this. Trapped in mysterious Castle Amber, you find yourselves cut off from the world you know. The castle is fraught with peril. Members of the strange Amber family, some insane, some merely deadly, lurk around every corner. Somewhere in the castle is the key to your escape, but can you survive long enough to find it? And yeah, so let's dig right in. Okay. Uh, the big launch here is this, not its proudest moment, but because D&D was fairly new at the time, uh, the DM Bigfoot is in place on this module. It's, it's intended for players uh, between levels three and six, and it was also intended for at least about six players uh, as a baseline average. Mm. You would have to up their levels if there were fewer, and you definitely wanted a varied group of classes. You Like all your skills will be put to the test here, so one of each at the very least. But the DM Bigfoot is that the characters find themselves uh, awakening, you know, encircled by a gray mist with this castle in the distance. Uh-oh. I've heard this before. Yeah, I mean, you know, and jerk move. Uh, right from the beginning, it informs you that uh, one of the mules has, like, strayed off into the mist, and when you try to pull back its lead rope, you know, the mule is dead. Uh, so, and then, of course, the DM explanation zone also lets you know that should the players attempt to cross through it, uh, the mist causes them, you know, a toxic reaction. They're choking and gagging and suffocating. Uh, and <laughs> it encourages the dungeon master not to simply kill any players by having them go into the mist, but to make it clear that it is doing them great harm and they're not getting anywhere with this. Uh, right, so if you see some similarities to Ravenloft, remember this was done before Castle Ravenloft. Yeah, so... That's a thing. And this is also a weird uh, second swing at the Expert series. Uh, this was Moldvay's 
we're coming right off of uh, Isle of Dread. And this is the next one that uh, kind of was out there. And this starts as a site-based uh, game, but it has ramifications for higher level play that you can progress through. And it's kind of a weird choice because this is an alternate reality or uh, dimension, if you want to get into that, Yeah. where you are transported into Clark Ashton Smith's Avignon series, which I'll talk about in a minute here, as well as Roger Zelazny's. Uh, Princess and Amber. Yeah, a powerful family. Stephen Amber and Kane Amber and all of them. Uh, Kane Amber is featured in this one, so hang on. Well, Stephen Amber is, uh, you know, a very important part of it. Well, that was, yeah, Stephen Amber, but uh, Corwin is absent from this directly being named, but uh, you could put that in there potentially. <clears throat> and basically this has a lot of campaign value. You could play an entire D&D &D campaign just based here. You never have to really leave. Oh, and accommodation was made even in the beginning of the module explaining that although the players do not know it until the very end, uh, Stephen Amber himself, uh, who is the dead patriarch of the Amber family, uh, is, you know, in their cheering section. And when they take a break and rest, uh, an attempt to recovery, golden light surrounds their in little encamped area uh, in which they are protected and are healed back up by dawn. You know, by the time they, they end their rest, uh, they have recovered fully and their spells can be regained. Uh, they're also capable of training and gaining levels during this module. Unlike many of the modules that people are more familiar with, uh, in the strictest traditions of advanced Dungeons and Dragons, you have to go somewhere and you have to do all the formal training and all of that. Uh, this module in the expert set accommodates the idea of people being able to do some simple nominal training uh, while, they're, while they are in mid-campaign and be able to gain the benefits and attributes of their new level. This is sort of an open acknowledgement that this is a long, multi-session module. This is not a, like, oh man, we're going to be out of this in like two, three sessions. No, no, you're not. Yeah, this will take several set long sessions to get through. And once you get through, there's a whole area for you to enjoy. Now, this is normally placed in Galantry, which later during the Bistara Known World series, uh, the Galantry was uh, put out again and again. Uh, they uh, often refer to this as Chateau de Amberville or the Amberville families. Um, although not actually in, in any of Smith's stories, they uh, obviously were provided a link to Avignon, his uh, stories, which uh, took place in a fictional France, uh, southern France province called the most witch-ridden in the entire country and the most well-known citizen is Gaspard de Nord. Beyonds, who a wizard who translated the Cthulhu Book of Iban into Norman French. And of course, the Lovecraftian tone is here as well with several monsters. But we'll get into that as we move through. Oh, quite. So getting right off, you have your wandering monster encounters, which are pretty well written for this one. Uh, there's a lot of lycanthropes. A lot of living statues or animated statues. Yeah, amber statues yeah. and things like that. Less dangerous hobgoblin servants that are actually in the employ, but again, it depends on the players and their conduct. Like right. how they handle this is up to them. Uh, the Magen, which are created beings that are servants to the Amber family uh, of various types, 
<coughs> with different specialties. Oh, the Galvin Magen with their like uh, static discharge. Yeah. Oh man. Don't rub a sweater against them. <laughs> okay. What a Just, day for me to wear my cardigan. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, terrible timing. Oh. oh. Oh man. That's what you get for pretending you're Mr. Rogers, Mage. Oh. But skeletons, undead, Rakasta, which there's a tribe of living in the place. I'm, I'm going to need you to fill me in on this one. Thule Servant. Yes. Uh, T-H-O-U-L. What were those again? Thule was that uh, weird monster in uh, classic D&D, which was uh, a combination of a hobgoblin, a troll, and a ghoul. Whoa. Okay. Paralyzing, a paralyzing touch of a ghoul. In the body of kind of a bluish hobgoblin. Yeah, it was an unhealthy scene. And the ability to regenerate. Man, only three hit dice, though. Yeah. So, not like... I, I guess they down-tuned that a little bit to, to make such a hideous no, combo it, it, acceptable. No, it was always three hit dice. It's just a, a weird kind of monster that was just one of those things. Man. I, but, in any case, pretty standard assortment. Uh, some lycanthropes... Uh, and such like, but nothing that I would consider insurmountable. Uh, oh no, nothing that's going to throw you in there. You got some magic users and wandering. Uh, but there's always the uh, possibility skellies, of skellymens and some spiders, but actual members of the Amber family, yes, who honestly, are not necessarily hostile. And I'd, I'd love to pause for a moment and just highlight this one important factor. In Castle Amber, although you are trapped and trying to find a way to get back to your traditional reality, uh, the people, the residents of the castle are not necessarily your enemies. In many cases, they may even be your allies. They may have substantial benefits to impart. You just don't know. And so the initial encounter you have and the party's reactions to things is really going to set the tone for this. Because if they come in gung-ho, ready to kick everybody's butt until they get what they want, they are in for some truly desperate fights. Uh, especially if it's a smaller party, uh, you know, they, they could be in real jeopardy. Uh, <laughs> now, if they take the approach of you know, we need to gather information. Uh, we need to, you know, make use of every possible potential ally that we can, or at least find a way to gain knowledge and or uh, equipment that will move us towards our goal. They're probably going to be a lot more successful in this. So that that is a major component here. The yeah, members of the Amber family may be crazy. The Chronicles of Amber, Princes and Amber, uh, one of the characters in the uh, first series of rooms is clearly a representation of Cain Amber from the books. And of course, the Grey Mist curse mirrors Corwin Amber's curse that he utters after his torture and imprisonment by his family. And the room Hall of Mirrors from the modules inspired by an identical room from the Zelazny book series. So definitely they were taking some deep uh, drafts from uh, the Princes and Amber series, which, hey, worthy material. Oh, very. Now, uh, there is a foyer, which as soon as the players enter, uh, it's a long, dark hall, uh, and, and 
Uh, the gray mist blocks sunlight from every direction except directly above. So the skylights let in light and you can see somewhat, but uh, you know that is not true in all rooms. Um, it's empty. The foyer is empty except for the characters and their pack animals. But the first room they can encounter is the Grand Salon and welcome to your chance at a boxing match. Yeah. <laughs> with a magically created being. Huh. With the the first member of the family that they're going to meet is the pleasantly more or less uh, neutral John Louis Amber, who John Louis, yeah, he has trained his Magen, the created beings that they have, uh, to be boxers and pugilism. You can't even spell that. <laughs> Big money, big prizes. The more you put down, the more you can win, and he's willing willing to match even, you know. So like that thousand gets you two. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if the players have lots of funding and they've got a tough fighter who is willing to bare knuckle it. Yeah, no weapons allowed. Yeah. No armor either. You can, you know, get in the ring, and it's a fair fight. Okay, it it's it is exactly the madness. Oh yeah. <laughs> Square inside a circle. Winner of the realm of madness. <laughs> you have to expect the unexpected. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I'm sorry. For bare knuckle boxing, all I can think of is the classic meme, which is pain pills. You mean bitch mints? Oh. You know, just, <laughs> <laughs> or, what do you mean I'm surrounded? I've got them right where I want them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in, in moving through, this is... Uh... Now, you can choose the, the low road and try to fight. Uh, this is one of the ones where, you know, it it isn't entirely hopeless. I, I suppose you could try that. But, you know, it's a guy with uh, his, his servants here. So, uh, you know, it, this sets the tone. It creates an atmosphere where the players are openly invited to participate. And to acknowledge that the people they're running into are not all their enemies. Mm. So that the door is opened right from the get-go. You're like, hey, welcome, join. I was looking for new competitors. Do you care to enter a wager and make a little money? Uh, that, <laughs> that is honestly, it sets the tone for this whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy and loopy. It's kind of, in a way, like Adam's family on uh, magic, meth. And so, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> Love that um, the module. There's also as you go through the there's the Hall of Mirrors that we just talked about. Yeah, which uh, welcome to blindness uh, if you brought a light source suddenly. Yeah, yeah, not the greatest idea ever, but hey, it's temporary. Just a haunting reminder for the players that if you're in a room full of mirrors, maybe an incredibly bright light is not a good choice. Uh, the dining room totally worth mentioning. Uh, yep, served by phantoms. Uh, and the food has various magical effects, some of which can be beneficial, and I mean really. Like... The green beans. <laughs> They're not magical. <laughs> I knew this growing up. Well, hey, roast beef, this is not magical, but is tender, tasty, and pink in the center. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if your characters like bonus hit points or, uh, you know... Uh, uh, near permanent uh, high-powered bonus against poison, and go ahead and test your luck. But there can also be horrific side effects, up yeah. to and including death. So, be uh, careful. And 
man, that finisher, that little aperitif, you know, like that brandy at the end of the meal, that's a doozy. Ooh. Uh, yeah, you may want to watch out for, you know, finishing the meal <laughs> could go either way for you. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, once again, yeah, benefits and risks, but uh, there are Aranea, which are like smart giant spiders that are capable of casting spells. In shape, there are Rakastas, uh, which are like you know cat beings with like fighting claws. Uh, you know they uh, cat folk. Yeah. But Rakasta has wares. If you oh, yes, <laughs> if you have koi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet moon sugar. Oh, my whiskers are just twitchy. <laughs> Uh, I want to highlight just one other of my favorite rooms in this early one. I mean, there, there's a lot here, including more of the individual Ambers, like uh, Richard Amber, who is you know, the lion-hearted with his lion's head. Uh, but one of the great DM jerk moves of all time is the Room of Slimes. Which, oh. Yeah, green slime all the way across the floor, <laughs> huge black pudding across the ceiling, a stone chest a platform with a lid uh, that appears wet and that one is covered with a gray ooze hey fantastic treasures inside and i am not kidding this module like so many of the early modules you know big dangers big prizes oh yeah oh you know players can make a fortune in this one but you gotta take some major risks and you better use every resource that you've got uh, <laughs> oh, that moves us to the indoor forest, uh, part three. Which, man, if you thought it was a little trippy on the inside, meeting guys, you're like, "How about a boxing match?" Or, "Hey, I've got a lion's head." If you thought that was weird, wait till you get to the indoor forest, which is huge. <laughs> Just oh yeah, it's roughly one third of the map. There's basically like three wings: the castle, west wing, east wing, and the. Uh, chapel area but it has an indoor forest so this gets you with its own wandering monster encounters which now have much different uh feel to them mostly uh more creatures you would encounter in a forest like a giant weasel or a robber flies uh, some tentars and the rest including one of isadora amber's wandering yeah. around here giants snakes grizzly bears uh there's a maiden and a unicorn which uh Boy, do not tick off that maiden. Just throwing it out. Yeah, she's laying on a chest of, uh, obviously, of great value. Don't take that away from her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the maiden and the unicorn, uh, <clears throat> that might actually be the nicest thing in the whole place. <laughs> I love the Billy Goat's woe. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the Billy Goat uh, on the bridge. Oh, please, don't eat me. I'm very small. There's not much to me. Wait for my, my larger brothers who are much, much, much more delicious. Much bigger meal for you, Mr. Troll. Um, and it lets it pass. Of course, you're the people who are walking up next. <laughs> I also like the fountain of death. Yeah. Most metal fountain ever. The fountain of death metal. No, Giant amoeba. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's in oh, the water. <laughs> it's in the water. It's sorry. The curse. 
Oh man, the squirrels with the golden acorns. King Midas's acorns. Yep. Oh man, the wild hunt patrols the interior of the forest. That's the ones we met before, and it's like Lupins and Dracosta riding dire wolves, uh, and uh, the two Dracosta ride saber-toothed tigers. And then there's a member of the Amber family, Andrew David Amber, uh, who is magically altered so that he now has the head of a large black goat, and his body is covered with black shaggy hair, and he's got red glowing eyes. And though he has hands instead of human feet, he has goat hooves goat hooves and rides a giant elk. I, the wild one. Yeah. Personified in unsaid it out for you. Bingo. And one of my favorite monsters here, this was one that did me in back in the day, was the uh, vampire roses. Oof. Yeah, well, grab grass, which grab grass. amber lotus flowers, grass that like... And it's not Henry grab grass either. Consent, it, please. Yeah. You wish you had consent. Oh, man. Golden water lilies that are amber lotus flowers and try to put people to sleep with clouds of pollen, followed by grass that grabs hold of you and attempts to hold you in place. Uh, and then vampire rosebush drains your blood. Yeah, like just plants working in tandem to kill you. It makes the happening look like a pretty, like just a terrific party. Uh -huh. All right. Well, we're going to... Uh have to pause it there, take a break, and we'll be right back with you with more of Castle Amber and an allusion to Edgar Allan Poe. So stick around. All right, and we're back. So, hey, thanks for sticking around. We're talking about Castle Amber. And uh, we're just cooking right along here. So, yeah, we talked about the uh, passing through the... Uh, Garden of Evil. Oh, yeah. The, the Garden of, like, Angry Plants. And <laughs> now we come to the chapel description, which the big linchpin point here is a conflict between two siblings, one of whom has been buried alive while they were in a cataleptic trance. Her brother thought she was dead, buried her alive, and now he's haunted by these sounds coming from her grave, thinking that, like, he's, he's gone mad. Uh, no, it, she's actually trying to claw her way out of her grave, and that's when the players show up. They can release her, in which case she is pretty cool with them, but ready to go kick her brother's ass, quite justifiably. Uh, if they do not, and they go into the chapel area and find the brother, they will have conflict with her later. Yeah, this is the illusion homage to the Fall of Usher, where a brother buried his sister, Madeline, that's that's named in both cases. Crying out for the grave, grave where she was buried alive. And this has this part starts to get into the Poe and Lovecraft. So this starts to become a more gothic horror yeah. area. Buried alive and like, you know, crazed for vengeance. Uh, that a brother who is like hovering on the brink of madness and is sensitive to sound and like uh, and to light. I mean, basically every sensation is more powerful to him. Uh, the Sanctum Sanctorum, where, like yet another Amber, Simon, uh, not a nice person. Like, you know, the, the sea and chaotic does not do him justice here. <laughs> okay, that is not sufficient. But uh, let's just say that after having encountered some very amiable Ambers. Or at least neutral. Yeah, you know, they, they've met some, some people they can at least work with to some degree uh, in their pursuit of 
what they're slowly finding out are keys that will ultimately open something very important later in the game. You know, they, they finally run across someone who is a thoroughgoing, through and through scumbag. Uh, so Simon teaches them a lesson, and that moves them to the East Wing, uh, the, the throne room in which uh, Princess Catherine is magic jarred into a throne yeah. and cannot wait to find a willing player character to take over. So, yeah, that's going to be a challenge. <laughs> 13th level mage suddenly climbs into the skull of one of your players. Yeah, and just to take a moment out and talk about this is set for the principalities of Galantry, set them as uh, it was known in the, uh, or put in the known world, as I should say, that all the princes of Galantry were magic users. This yes. The country run just by magic users. It's a majocracy. And uh, this really set the tone for that and explained that not all of them are necessarily stable. Not entirely stable. <laughs> well, plug the professor into the magic jar throne and let him figure it out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, the the former jester of the Ambers. Is yeah, and that's room. another uh, one uh, from... Jeez, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, Hopfrog, that was it. The jester in Edgar Allan Poe's story who... Uh, Went after the king with his uh, cruel jokes and japes. <laughs> uh, well, punished with uh, the inability to ever leave yeah. uh, with that, that room without death and potions of longevity so that he can continue to stay alive and a bag of unending nourishment, which from which food sufficient to his needs and the needs of the transformed apes that are there with him. Yeah, I'd, like, well, I mean, you could try to leave the room and die and end it, but do you dare? Mm. So, yeah, the library has clawed Amber, uh, and, you know, again, one of the more reasonable Ambers, and as a library, it has much of the information that they will need below uh, as they attempt to access. Uh, it becomes clear to them at this stage that they need to get into the basement of the castle and to travel into the original world from which the Amber family came. Yep. Uh, and therein lie the ingredients to unlocking Stephen Amber's tomb and breaking the curse on Castle Amber, ending the Grey Mist and returning them to their planes of origin. So, Yeah, but also with that is an option, if you want to explore more of this strange area, a huge map and campaign arcs are hidden in here. And this is where the expert set comes from. They give you a very uh, good... Uh, well, let's see, it's uh, one hex equals 12 miles, so a pretty decent sized hex crawl awaits you with various places. And yeah, you'll be traveling city to city. Uh, if you want to explore this place, uh, it has the uh, the northern half dominated by Vions, uh, massive cathedrals, and then the southern half is the town of Zemes, which uh, is the uh, main road of Avignon between Zemes and Vions, straight back to a dark forest in the middle. And there's all sorts of places around. And you find that this world, magic is forbidden. Yeah. An inquisition holds sway from a lawful church and punishes magic users who show it openly. However, you can learn about that from the, like, the library and some of the... Yeah. And so if the DM <laughs> wants to continue this rather than just kind of an intro to expert level play, you can uh, now turn this to a full-on campaign where you're hex crawling and discovering a strange land. And it's pretty well detailed. And this is where you get from the front cover. If you wonder where, hey, I was teased with a giant colossus and all I've gotten is crazy people living 
out of mad trap fantasy world. Yeah, a bunch of weird people with like major, major family issues. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow, this family is totally dysfunctional. Talking about your royal tannin bombs here. Okay, oh. these people are out of it. Uh, there are a bunch more rooms to go. Uh, however, as you work your way to the basement, I, I think. One of the curios worth mentioning is the Gremlins. Yeah, the Gremlins is really cool. Uh, oh, it's, it's a nice little lighthearted. Yeah. Uh, just it can turn vicious if the players really get... Constant aura of chaos that makes all the familiar uh, mechanical things break down and fail them, uh, which can be super annoying and... 20s you know, or 1s, 1s or 20s. It, nothing makes sense anymore. Everything is upside down. <laughs> Dogs and cats living together, end of the world type stuff. <laughs> but magical letter squares. Yeah. Uh, oh, and if you run across a lady with cards, look, you can take your chances if you're comfortable with the deck of many type, uh, many things <laughs> type situation. But again, as experienced DMs, we actually recommend you not do that because as DMs, we know nothing makes us happier than you taking that risk and paying for it horribly. So, <laughs> yeah, you can feel free. That's an insert there. If you want to use a deck of many things in this one, this would be a perfect opportunity. Of course, you don't. You would probably want to use the lesser deck rather than the major one. Well, the magic squares with their letter combinations are also a great deal like the random risks sure. that you are taking. Yeah. Uh, chaos is a big theme throughout this entire module. Okay, uh, so that's that's a major risk. There is a. Poor lunatic uh, Amber here by the name of Gaston, who, you know, paints, uh, but he is absolutely nuts. You know, he is, he is beyond help on this one. Uh, the basement's most Shethuloid horror. You talk on this one for Oh, yeah, time. the Neg Salu. Yeah, the Brain Collector. Yeah, this is one that made its entry <laughs> into third edition Pathfinder and a lot of others. This is a Clark Ashton Smith-esque monster, and it is a Cthuloid horror that vivisects the players and then removes their brain and then uses them to cast spells. The more brains it collects, the more spell power it has. And it is a nightmare, and it is a horrific creature that just seems to come out of nowhere until you realize some of the source material. And this is one I ran the module early on. I'm like, where did this thing come from? What? Twisted intellect came up with this, but I totally loved it. Um, <laughs> then I read some of the books, and I'm like, "Oh, Clark Ashton Smith's The Book of Evian." Oh, that completely explains it. Yeah, that's a monster that would be completely comfortable inhabiting one of Lovecraft's stories. Yeah, it, I'll just read the intro on this one. I'm actually going to take that time out on this room is equipped somewhat like an alchemist's laboratory, though most of the equipment looks unfamiliar. There are a number of knives, scissors, and other surgical tools. A metal table stands in the middle of the room. On it is strapped a human male. Near the table stands a large, horrible, unearthly creature on six crab-like legs. It has a grotesque, bloated body covered with an oily yellow-orange membrane from which protrudes masses of short tentacles, four yellow bulging eyes, and a repu repulsive, tooth-filled mouth in the top. There are five large lumps on the upper part of its body, just above the baleful eyes. Yep, and each one of those is a spell, a brain that is collected and gives it a new spell. So, yeah, 
<laughs> so the spell casting brain eating 10 hit dice Chthuloid horror casts uh, haste on itself and goes to work on you. Yeah. Casting a phantasmal force with nightmarish illusions and Star Priest and Magic Missile. So, yeah. 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 Well, Both of I mean, Eldritch Force and the ability to enthrall. Not you. to mention, you know, like uh, one attack per round normally, two hasted, uh, die 10 damage. Yeah. attack uh, plus of course the option to use its spells now uh, there's an area where the Magan vats are where they craft their their servant beings uh, an alchemistry laboratory that uh, a little trippy on that one it, it gets into like substances that cause people to go into dreams and then there's a whole segment on how to make these dreams become a part of the player's reality uh, you know for their their PC will experience this uh, and like actually gain from it. And there have like tangible effects in gameplay uh, that are the effect of having had their dream. Uh, but the lair of the great worm, giant mound of treasure, actually a slime worm, which wow. Okay. Treasure stuck to its back. So yeah. You think it's a pile of treasure. Jerk, Just move, worm. jerk move DM. <laughs> uh, uh, one of the essential, absolutely important keys, bobbing in a glass sphere oh. in acid. Yeah. <laughs> Not easy to get. A lying, dirty demon in a pentagram that will, you know. <laughs> the death demon, yeah. Yeah, never trust them. Just don't. Yep. Just and don't. then uh, entrance to the land of ghouls, which is another Lovecraftian kind of reference that Clark Ashton Smith put in, the ghoul kingdoms. Wolfgang Barr would write about this a lot, but uh, it was a, a, there's all these weird kind of entrances to other worlds and places that players, well, it's fun to game out, but it's not some place that player characters would want to live. Oh yeah. <laughs> the land of the ghouls. Uh, it does mention that the DM can flesh this out and go where they want with it. But this is not one that's going to be fun. No. Um, you know. <laughs> that's, uh, don't look for a lot of secure aid and safe places in the land of the ghouls. Uh, however, you get to the gate to the silver keys. The keys that have been scattered about the castle have been acquired. Uh, a second version of the information that is essential and could have been found in the library yep. has been placed here conveniently so that there's more than one source. You may recall that from previous discussions. Right. More than one path for the players to achieve certain goals. Uh, so that you're In not case they missed it, here it is. So, yeah, they made this kind of as a fail-safe because it is kind of a tough read yeah. if you didn't have this one. So if the players missed all the other clues that you saw, that are salted throughout here that are missed any of the trails of breadcrumbs, which there isn't really a trail of breadcrumbs leading you from one encounter to the other or which way to go. No, you can backtrack, check different rooms, different halls. Yeah, there's like no that. set uh, path or rhyme or reason. It's just basically where you go is just as... Any decision is as good as any other. Now, welcome to Aberone, because the silver keys open the gate and allow the players to, you know, travel uh, from Castle Amber to the original home of the Amber family, from which they have clearly been banished. Uh, and having met them, it is totally obvious why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have a nice uh, setup for the wandering encounters, including... Well, the tragedy, of course, is that everybody is vaguely French. 
just well, yes, this is the, incredibly unsettling. Wow. Well, this is the Clark Ashton Smith Avernion. I know, and it's a real horror show. I mean, like all these French people. You done now? <laughs> Get out of your system. All right, Mr. Patouin. Patouin. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. I, I, I got my French jokes out of it. Just... Yeah, but here's where you get to see the titular cover is the Colossus of Yolom, which is a uh, animated Colossus. There's also one of my favorite illustrations out of here is the uh, cleric fighting the uh, werewolves, holding them back. That's a great uh, picture there. But there's the um, several items there. What is it? It's the... um, There are four items the players need that they must acquire. The Enchanted Sword of Selaire, the Viper Circled Mirror, the Ring of Avon, and a Potion of Time Travel. All four of which can be found in Yeah, so this is where the basically this turns into a hex crawl now. So if your characters are just on the cusp of playing, entering expert play, you can give them a dungeon site-based encounter and then transition into this. Now, of course, the optional ending is too, is once they get the keys, they can just return to the world if you don't want to run this part. But uh, here we go. Avignon is a it's a strange place with many taunting French knights. <laughs> yes, uh, and I was being naughty with yeah. Well, you know, you deserve a break, man. You you get to throw in, you get to throw in something because I certainly uh, misbehaved. <laughs> so yeah, uh, behave or they will taunt you a second time. Right. <laughs> uh, your first round, the Enchanted Sword of Silver. You're on a werewolf hunt. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's not an easy one either. And, you know, in French mythology, the werewolf features very much, though. Certainly. And uh, there's many. What was that uh, movie, Pac de Loup? Oh, Le Pac de Loup, uh, or The Brotherhood of the Wolf. Yeah, The Brotherhood of the which Wolf. Which I believe that was uh, Luc Besson uh, yeah, directing. Luc- uh, long, I, I believe that goes back further than... Uh, before the fifth element but great movie Le Pacte. right and this is a good ins- i poke fun at the french you can definitely invoke this in uh, this part one bingo at uh, this it, going on that werewolf hunt uh and danger of plenty especially in old-fashioned uh expert set snow peach and this werewolf well <clears throat> uh, got certain benefits when it's in its human form so <laughs> he's what a mage oh yeah he's a mage isn't he yeah yeah 10th level okay yeah so so you're dealing with somebody who will like if and they know they're a werewolf you know they will fight the party off first advantageously as a werewolf if or i mean as a mage if they get the chance then transform and tear people up uh after they have used their best spells so <laughs> oh man now uh the next segment, the Viper Circled Mirror. Yeah. Now, once you get the sword, what is the sword anyway? Oh, the Sword of Solaire is actually a sword plus three plus five versus undead. Oh, yeah, it's very good. Super powerful while you've got it. And, you know, not without its uses uh, because it's also uh, capable of automatically killing any undead it hits on an unmodified score of 18 or better, plus detect evil and detect invisible. And gives the user the ability to fly for up to three turns, three times per day. Yeah. Oh. Mm, nice sword, yeah. Yeah, the Viper Circled Mirror. 
is the next item you got to get, and that's of course uh, found the property of Gaspard du Nord. Yeah, who is the titular character? Uh, it's a neutral mu- magician. However, uh, he is not evil like some of the mu- magicians around here, since uh, magic is prohibited. Uh, there's this whole delicate balance where the players can't quite come out and say a lot of things when they're in public. They have to make these intense private negotiations. Yeah, so clerics guy, are okay, but elves and magic users tread lightly. Yeah. Yeah, this this guy, he has a noble purpose. And this brings us to the cover at last. Yeah, the Colossus. The 100 Hit Dice Colossus with 350 hit points, damage with one attack per round, damage of 10 to 80 per hit. Uh, it is literally got, I mean, Master Blaster style. Uh, the guy who animated and controls this thing is magic jarred inside it and strapped to the back in a basket uh, with, I believe, minions to protect him. Oh. And he's using this Colossus to bash his way into a city through its otherwise really good walls. Zemes, I think. Yeah. Uh, oh, where is it? Um, well, they are forced to fight the Colossus. Oh, Beyond's. Yeah, the Beyond City Council will add 10,000 gold pieces. Ah, not Zeme, but uh, Beyond. Uh, Gaspard will make a powder for the players that can neutralize. I mean, it can, if you get the Colossus in the face with it, it will knock it out. I mean, it'll just like terminate the magic and, you know, it'll go crashing to the ground. But he can only make five doses. So one, somebody's gonna have to get really close in flight to the thing's face. With the sword. Or get up there on the city walls as the thing attacks and try to get up in its face. Either way, Incredibly dangerous unless you've got, for instance, a sword that lets you fly. So the and ingredients are there. With this, if you do hit it with the sword, I think it also can kill it if you roll that 18, unmodified 18. Uh, and yeah, the danger of getting hit by this thing, 10 yeah, to 80 the, points, you're toast. Toast. One hit and a player is gone. So it's a little bit of a stilted fight, but it's still one that will test uh, player resources and ingenuity as well as bravery. So definitely a pucker factor. And then the next one is the Ring of Eden. Ooh, Yeah, and if you thought the werewolf issue was tough, uh, man, uh, the, the city of Paragon is uh, terrorized by a mysterious attacker known as the Beast of Averon. And it stalks its prey by night, killing both animals and men. The only portion of the kill which the beast devours is the marrow inside the bones. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, it's like a serpentine creature with glowing red eyes contained in a black mist. And it is just horrible, haunting and terrifying. <laughs> its form is difficult to see. Cthulian nightmare. Yeah, once again. And it is, in fact, a person yes. uh, who is, well, in possession of the thing, the very thing that the players need from this, the ring. Uh, and so conflict is inevitable on this one. It, you know. <laughs> yep, but the beast is tough. But uh, if the players have used the resources well, they can get uh, through this one. But yeah, this is a pure combat encounter. But once you get it solved, you kind of feel bad for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the person 
you know, uh, so transformed. Uh, yeah, the oh, they'll take back to the form of Theophil and uh, the Abbot. The, is in yeah, fact you find out the in fact the Abbot of the town. So yeah, that's the Butler thing. didn't do it; it was the Abbot. Oh damn! No, uh, Colonel Mustard. <laughs> now, with regard to the potion of time travel. This section can take place almost any of these places. Uh, the others were fixed locations inside Everone that you have to go to. Yeah, so there. travel time, encounters, uh, learning and meeting places. These are all setups, and as we're just glossing through these, there's a lot that the DM needs to bring this province to life and with its unique inhabitants and, yes, very Frenchified settings. So, fortunately, provide you a nice pronunciation guide at the uh, back to help you muddle True. through that. Yeah, that, you know, I mean, makes sense of that French. It, it can be tricky at points. Yeah, it is. Like, we were stumbling across a couple of these, but we had to work through it. But, yeah, then you get to the uh, proper, after getting the uh, potion of time travel, which is, you have to go to the Bishop of Zemes, who is, a, in fact, not a cleric, but a evil wizard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's one way to do it. Uh, there are also uh, several other persons in possession of oh. potions of time travel throughout, and there is the risk of experiencing time travel involuntarily, where so they are cast what into did, a. What did the mirror do? What did the, oh, before we get to, I wanted to ask, what did the mirror do? I think we sped, uh, sped right past that. The viper and a circled mirror. I don't know what it does. I don't see anything about the mirror doing anything particularly amazing. Uh, oh, I it's thought... It's a round mirror with a frame that looks like... I thought a it was a crystal ball. It functioned as a crystal ball so they could plan their, not, plan their next movements. Hmm. Gaze into it. But Yeah, I didn't get that at all. Okay. But yeah, that's a, that's how I'd run it. So that's what I did. But uh, yeah, and then uh, finally... Um, they have the ability to break free going through the guardians of the tomb pretty much air earth fire and water and all that good stuff and uh defeating all the guardians uh gets you to the uh final and you have to sacrifice all these items to get through so yep. kiss that sword goodbye kiss samir goodbye in the ring yep the uh what was it uh, the enchanted sword is anointed with the potion of time travel uh and the sword is used to strike the mirror. Uh, and the, oh, what is it? The ring had to be touched to the viper's tail on the mirror frame. And the serpent will uncoil enough for the ring to slide over the tail. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. You know, all three of them eventually have contact, destroys them all, but opens the way to Stephen Amber's tomb. Which... Get familiar with the elemental theme of Guardians. Just yep. going to throw it out there. Very simple. Uh, and then directly to Stephen's crypt. Uh, and it says, burn the tapestry to break my curse on the inside of the casket lid. And blessedly, this is one of those scenarios that ends exactly like it's supposed to. Not, none of that DMD baggery where like, oh, it's said to do that, but then we're all screwed. No, you have actually freed. Yeah, he's not a vampire waiting to kill you. No. He is grateful and has actually been helping you from afar, though you did not know it, uh, giving yeah. you peaceful time and safety and when yeah. you rested. And Stefan is a uh, 25th level magic user. Yeah. So 
So they provide some raw stats here, but no specifics. They basically see a Deus Ex Machina. Does whatever the DM wants him to do. If they want to stay, they're welcome to. If they want to leave, and he'll even resurrect. You know, yep. he will bring back to life uh, several player characters. Uh, you can't. If you lost all but two members of the party before it was over, eh, well, you may be out of luck. But he can do an awful lot of good for you. Oh man, it it was an epic journey. I don't think anybody, when I was very young. Ever made it all the way through? Yeah, it is very hard to make it through. I ran it for a uh, higher level D and D party, traditional AD and D party, but uh, I modified a few things there, and some of the monsters, as they were presented in Second Edition, were a lot uh, tougher anyway. So it seemed to match the Death Demon uh, and the Beast in the back here is very good. Besides the Brain Collector, the Ariana, the shape shifting magic using spiders—they're creepy—and uh, now, knowing what I know, I'd make them more like jumping spiders. They're kind of cute. <laughs> the Aranea? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't remember them as being shape-shifting, per se, but they're an intelligent giant spider race, like the size of the large pony. Uh, oh, yeah, but they could... Uh, later in, uh, they could shape-shift. They could... Uh, they, oh. They're not uh, like anthropes or anything. They're shape-shifters. Change into different forms and hang out know. with you for a while. Although... Talking with a uh, magic-using shape-shifting spider would not be something pleasant, I imagine. Well, I mean, unless you like talking about flies. Or draining essential uh, fluids out of things, yeah. Yeah, uh, but they kindly provide you with a wonderful glossary of terms and pronunciation guide uh, so that you, too, can sound French. Yeah, this one has also, like, the Sun Brothers show up in here, the shame. Slime Worm. Uh, Stats for pagans. I mean, like you needed that. <laughs> Phantoms and Magan. So there's a lot of uh, value to this module, even after uh, you played it, because as a bestiary, it contains uh, over a dozen new monsters, and that yeah, pretty much concludes it. It's a self-contained mini campaign that probably will see characters starting from third level and ending somewhere around eight, if you well, do it right. Uh, Especially because Avernion is not. As we gloss over the encounters, there's many more places that are just basically mentioned in small blurbs that you have to flesh out as a DM. So it gets your DM wings ready to start designing your own areas and towns as players move through. So, Yeah, and I will mention that the module did not pre-assume that the players would all be exactly equal at level. Oh yeah, well that... But that, that their total levels as a group should add up to somewhere around 24. Right, your thieves and clerics are going to be higher level as your elves and uh, yeah, especially magic users are going to be a little bit lower. Oh, and yeah, with the fighters and dwarves and uh, others, uh, somewhere around mid-range of those. But yeah, that's the way it goes. But all right, yeah, uh, good look back at uh, Castle Amber, and we hope you enjoyed it. But uh, that's going to do it for us now, so we'll see you next week. But until then... May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.